Online. Welcome to Catholic View on this Thursday evening. I'm Shayla Pitch. Thank you so much for being here with me. Coming up in today's broadcast, you know by now, it's a Thursday. We bring you our woman feature. This evening we'll be focusing on Catholic women leading the way in Chaperone Diocese, Botswana. But first, as usual, we take a look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. So do stay with me. I'll be right back. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Thursday evening, Church will apply firmest measures against those who abuse minors, says Pope Francis. Pretoria Priest celebrates a Silver Jubilee and World Observes International Day of Peace. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. On the day the Church celebrates the Feast of St. Matthew, an Apostle and Evangelist, Pope Francis reflected on St. Matthew's own account of his conversion and calling into discipleship. In remarks following the readings of the day in the chapel of the Casa Santa Marta in the Vatican, Pope Francis focused on the three stages of the episode, calling, feasting and scandal. Chris Altieri reports. Jesus had just healed a paralytic when he met Matthew, a tax collector, hence a figure despised by Jewish authorities and considered a traitor to his land and people, sitting at the customs desk. Jesus looked at him and said, Follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Recalling Caravaggio's famous depiction of the scene, Pope Francis spoke of Matthew's sidelong look with one eye on our Savior and the other on his purse, a look that was even standoffish, if not outright aggressive. Then there was the merciful gaze of Jesus, which communicated such overwhelming love that the resistance of the man who wanted the money failed. Matthew got up and followed him. It is the struggle between mercy and sin, Pope Francis said, Jesus' love was able to enter into the heart of that man, Matthew, because he knew he was a sinner. He knew he was not loved by anyone and was even despised. It was precisely that sinful conscience which opened the door to the mercy of Jesus. So Matthew left everything and went on a new journey with our Lord. This is the encounter between the sinner and Jesus. Addressing members of the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors gathered for their plenary assembly in Rome, Pope Francis reiterated his pledge to combat the evil of clerical sex abuse, affirming that at all levels the Church will continue to respond, applying the firmest of measures to all those who have betrayed their call and abused God's children. In prepared remarks, which he immediately set aside to be able to have a less formal exchange with those present, Pope Francis yet again described the sex abuse scandal as a terrible evil for the whole of humanity and as a very painful experience for the Church. We are ashamed, he said, of the abuses committed by holy ministers who should be the most trustworthy. 
thanking the Commission for the work it is doing sharing best practices and offering educational programs. Francis reiterated his promise to respond to the evil, taking the firmest measures possible against priests and religious who abuse children in the name of a strict zero-tolerance policy. While he stressed that disciplinary measures must apply to all those who work in the institutions of the church, he pointed out that the primary responsibility lies with bishops and superior generals, whose vocations include the vigilant protection of all vulnerable children, young people and adults. And speaking intimately off the cuff in a low voice, Pope Francis described pedophilia as an illness and admitted that the church waited far too long before taking reports of clerical sexual abuse seriously. But he said, thanks to God, the Lord sent prophetic men and women in the church who got others involved and began this work to face the problem head on. Mentioning the role of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, which has received criticism for processing cases too slowly, he said it will be getting more resources, and commenting on the fact that whoever is sentenced for sexual abuse of children can turn to the Pope for pardon, Francis said he had never signed one of these and never would. Father Federico Lombardi, the president of the Ratzinger Foundation, has announced that the foundation has organized an international congress in Costa Rica to take place from November 29th to December 1st. We are preparing a congress for the end of the year at the Catholic University of Costa Rica. It will be about Pope Francis's Laudato Si and his continuity with the effort and care for the common home by Benedict XVI. This will involve much of Central America and Latin America, especially Catholic universities. Cardinal Claudio Umez, who's closely followed the Amazon's decline, and Cardinal Giuseppe Versaldi, prefect of the Congregation for Catholic Education, will participate among others. Theologians and scientists will debate and evaluate the measures that society should adopt to deal with climate change. A kind of ecological barometer will be created, so each country can check whether it meets Laudato Si's parameters to care for the environment. Uh, di Costa Rica. The Catholic University of Costa Rica has an important project with which it will measure the physical and social indexes in regard to environmental changes in order to be able to measure how much effort people are putting into taking care of the common home. With this meeting, they hope to make people aware about caring for the planet in a way that's as much scientifical as theological and spiritual. Un observatorio. It will be a study that will measure not only the development of climate change, but also the way we live with it and fight against it. Under the slogan, Care for the Common Home, a Necessary Conversion for Human Ecology, the Holy See hopes to do something about climate change by uniting people in a common effort in order to create a more sustainable world. The people of Sudan and South Sudan have been urged to resolve all their differences through dialogue and to respect one another. Speaking ahead of the 19th Plenary Assembly of Association for Member Episcopal Conferences of Eastern Africa, AMESIA, to be held in July 2018 in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, AMESIA Secretary General Reverend Father Ferdinand Lugonzo called on the political leaders in the two countries to embrace the spirit of reconciliation with sincerity because revenge cannot resolve the conflicts. 
In other African news, the international community needs to seize the moment and work towards a lasting political solution to the protracted crisis that has gripped Libya for the past six years. UN Chief Antonio Guterres made the plea on Wednesday at the start of a high-level meeting at UN headquarters, which he said could prove to be of historic significance in finally bringing warring factions together across the all-rich country. He said it was crucial to fashion a Libyan-led solution and called on all countries to show an unequivocal commitment to the Libyan people under the UN umbrella. Mr. Guterres promised to increase the UN presence in the country as soon as possible and execute a plan of action on the basis of trust and leadership among all parties with a stake in Libya's future. The Libyan people have suffered too much. The Libyan people deserves peace and to live in democracy and in prosperity. To solve the Libyan crisis must be a priority not only for the neighbors, not only for the African and European continents, but I would say for the whole world. It is my deep belief that circumstances are now created in a way that allow for a solution to be possible. I don't think we can miss this opportunity. The Holy See's Foreign Minister, Archbishop Paul Gallagher, has called for renewed dialogue in the Central African Republic, CAR, as well as more effective action to protect civilians of all religious groups. Speaking at a meeting at the United Nations, the Vatican Secretary for Relations with States said the Holy See is greatly concerned about the intensification of conflict in the CAR. Philippa Hitchin has more. The Vatican Secretary for Relations with States said the Holy See is greatly concerned about the intensification of conflict in the CAR, which Pope Francis visited in November 2015. He praised the role of the UN Stabilization Mission, which is working to bring peace to the capital, Bongi. But at the same time, he called for greater protection of civilians, without distinction of rank or religious creed, in order to earn the trust of the local population. Noting that women and children are the most vulnerable victims of the conflict, Archbishop Gallagher appealed to UN peacekeepers to defend their dignity, to guarantee their freedom of movement and to protect them from armed aggression or abuse. While calling on the CAR government to guarantee the rule of law, to curb and combat corruption and to ensure access to health care and education for all citizens, Archbishop Gallagher also called on the international community to support democracy and inclusive development in the country. The financial aid promised during last autumn's Brussels conference must be made available, he said, in order to facilitate reconstruction and financial recovery. Calling for a sincere dialogue between all the political forces in the country, Archbishop Gallagher said peace also requires the disarmament and integration of former combatants, justice for the victims of crimes and the safe return of refugees, both Christian and Muslim. The death of a Somali broadcast journalist, Abdullah Osman Moalim, has been denounced by the head of the UN Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, UNESCO. Matt Wells reports. Mr Moalim worked for the Somali broadcaster Jubaland TV and he was killed during a suicide bombing in the town of Beledwain, close to the Ethiopian border, on the 13th of September. The attack happened outside a restaurant and at least six people were killed and ten were injured, including two other journalists, according to news reports. UNESCO Director General Irina Borkova condemned the killing, adding that journalists the world over are being attacked based on their mission to keep the public informed. She called on Somali authorities to investigate the attack and extended her condolences to all the victims and their families.
Kenya's Supreme Court has criticized the country's election board for failing to verify official results of last month's presidential election, which were later nullified over irregularities and illegalities before announcing them. The court, based in the capital Nairobi, offered a detailed ruling on Wednesday as to why it annulled the August 8th election and ordered a fresh presidential vote on October 17th after opposition leader Raila Odinga challenged the original result. According to the court's ruling, the board overseeing the 2017 vote did not have all the tally forms when they announced results and some forms lacked security features such as watermarks, signatures or serial numbers, which calls their authenticity into question. The election board had said incumbent President Uhuru Kenyatta won the contest by 1.4 million votes, but the opposition said the country's electronic voting system had been hacked and the results were doctored. Suicide attacks in northeast Nigeria on Monday and neighboring Cameroon on Sunday have been condemned by the UN Secretary General. At least 20 people were killed during the two assaults, which media reports suggest bore the hallmark of Boko Haram militants. Matt Wells has more. Nigeria's Lake Chad region has been in the grip of Boko Haram violence for years leading to a worsening humanitarian crisis that's left over 2 million people displaced, hungry and seeking refuge. In a statement condemning the latest attacks, Antonio Guterres expressed his condolences to the people and governments of Nigeria and Cameroon. He wished the injured a speedy recovery and hoped that justice would be swiftly served. Mr Guterres reiterated the UN solidarity and support for Lake Chad Basin countries in their fight against terrorism and violent extremism. U.S. President Donald Trump had lunch with African leaders at the U.N. on Wednesday and praised Africa's business potential. He told the leaders he has many friends who are going to the African continent to get rich. Colin York has more. Trump discussed the continent's opportunities and challenges and said American firms were investing a lot of money in the continent. He also said he was sending the United States ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, to Africa to discuss avenues of conflict and resolution and, most importantly, prevention of conflict. South Africa's Jacob Zuma and Nigeria's Mohamedou Buhari were among the leaders at the lunch. In other news, a priest from Oklahoma in the USA, Father Stanley Rother, who was martyred in Guatemala, will be beatified on Saturday in Oklahoma City, Nosipo Hadebe Hesmo. A few years after ordination, Father Rother became a missionary to Guatemala. Apart from ministering to the people, the mission priest worked the fields and repaired broken trucks. He built a farmer's co-op, a school, a hospital and the area's first Catholic radio station. The dangers of Guatemala's civil war approached his village in 1980, and Father Rother's name was found on a hit list in 1981. On the morning of July 28, 1981, armed men broke into Father Rother's rectory. He was shot dead, and the attackers fled. Pope Francis officially recognized his death as a martyrdom in December 2016. Father Rother's beatification mass is expected to be attended by dozens of bishops, scores of priests and thousands of lay Catholics. And Maria Rose Escaperlanda is the author of a biography about this American martyr entitled The Shepherd Who Didn't Run. She spoke to Susie Hodges about Father Stainless' life, his mission, and why it made such an impact on her. 
I was a part of the historical commission that gathered uh, all the documents to be sent for his cost to the Vatican, but it was really the Archbishop Paul Coakley who commissioned me to write the book. I'm not from Guatemala, but I have been hearing about Father Stan from the moment we arrived here. My children were in Catholic school, and they would come home with stories about this priest who was a farmer who went to Guatemala and became a missionary and who was martyr there. So I I think uh, for me, I've become kind of his ambassador. I want everyone to hear about this ordinary man who can teach us how to live holy lives by simply embracing and being present to what God is giving us every day. One year ago, the world met in New York to underscore the need to protect millions of people fleeing conflict and persecution in their homelands. At the UN General Assembly on Wednesday, leaders took stock of a plan that aims to bring greater security to refugees and migrants. DNPAN reports. The plan is known as the New York Declaration, and it includes two key commitments, a global compact on refugees and another on safe, orderly and regular migration. The goal is to achieve a more equitable sharing of the burden and responsibility of hosting and supporting what UN agencies describe as people on the move, estimated at over 65 million worldwide. Antonio Guterres is the UN Secretary General. This declaration was a strong endorsement of the need for greater international cooperation on this issue. It was a landmark in our efforts to find compassionate and people-centered solutions to the challenges we face. The packed conference room reflected how important this issue is for countries, said the Secretary General's Special Representative for International Migration. Louise Arbor said both compacts must be as strong as possible. They have to be widely supported, human rights-centered, and with the needs of the most vulnerable firmly at their heart. Her office has been consulting with UN member states to learn more about what she described as the reality of migration, its global nature, many benefits, but also the complex challenges it generates. International migration involves more than one state. The movement of people across borders highlights the connection between state sovereignty and state interdependence. A successful global compact will need to reflect this. Its success will rest on maximum state buy-in and willingness to enhance cooperation at the regional and at the international level. In today's world, most states are at once states of origin, transit, and destination, and there is more commonality of interest that may appear on the surface. As UN General Assembly President Miroslav Lychak told the gathering, now is the time to move from commitment to action. Last year, we reaffirmed our obligation to protect the human rights of refugees and migrants and agreed that more needs to be done to uphold our responsibilities. Through various consultations over the past year, we have strengthened our understanding of the issues. We have also built trust and partnerships amongst many within our societies. Now it is time to focus on tangible results that directly bring change to people's lives. We must build on the momentum to turn our commitments into collective action. Let us not forget, and Secretary General stressed it very eloquently, that refugees and migrants are people first and foremost.
That was UN General Assembly President Miroslav Lychak speaking at a meeting on international efforts to address the refugee and migration crisis. International Day of Peace, observed around the world on 21st September, focuses this year on engaging and mobilizing people throughout the world to show support for refugees and migrants. The General Assembly has declared this day as a day devoted to strengthening the ideals of peace, both within and among all nations as well as peoples. And finally, back home, parish priest of St. John the Baptist in Pretoria North, Stigmatine Father Clement Senecane, is celebrating his Silver Jubilee as a priest on Saturday. Originally from Lesotho, Father Clement was one of the first local Stigmatine priests and has been very active in pastoral work, especially in the Archdiocese of Pretoria and Johannesburg. Speaking to Radio Veritas, Father Clement said he feels fulfilled in his ministry. My priesthood really meant so much to me. I actually celebrate every year. This is my priesthood ordination day rather than even my birthday. It meant so much to me, shaped my character, and it brought me closer to my family, my friends. And also, I enjoyed my ministry, so I felt fulfilled in my ministry. I feel more energized with this coming celebration. To me, it's like the, the new beginning. It's like a retreat and uh, being ready to, to serve God more closely. And uh, make up where I did, uh, I failed, and start afresh and continue. And that was a look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. You're listening to Catholic View on Radio Veritas, 576AM, otherwise on 870DSTV. You can also listen to us online. Simply log on to our website, radioveritas.co.za. And I'm Sheila Pirsch. Coming up next is our Women Feature. Women on the African continent are generally treated as second-class citizens. They do not enjoy the same positions as men we say to girls you can have ambition but not too much you should aim to be successful but not too successful otherwise you will threaten the man some men refuse to invest in the education of their daughters because they say they will soon get married because i am female i'm expected to aspire to marriage I'm expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. Feminist, a person who believes in the social, political and economic equality of the sexes. Women on the Forefront, a program dedicated to women who are making a difference. Welcome back to our Women Feature. This evening we focus on Catholic women leading the way in Khabarone Diocese, Botswana. She 
is a staunch Catholic who dedicates most of her time for the benefit of the church. As the chairperson of Christ the King Cathedral and a member of the founding members of charismatic movement in the Diocese of Chabaron, Mrs. Masejo Peto supports different programs of the parish and the diocese. She spoke to me about her call to serve the church in Chabarone, Botswana. Um, first of all, let me just thank Father Tatu for recognizing things that I didn't even know matter that much. It shows that indeed uh, I've answered the call of God. How I started, I, I just don't know. Maybe it's just that maybe God identified, you know, he qualifies those that he sends out to do his work. Um, you know, I'm driven by a passion to see people, you know, when you see a smile coming into someone's face, especially when they had lost hope. So for me, it's, uh, it's all about what Christianity is about. And I have this thing of, you know, um, wanting to know more about the purpose for which I'm here for. And when we come to the charismatic renewal, I think it was a chance, like I say, you know, God identifies you from wherever you are. Um, someone just said to me, you know, there are these prayers, evening prayers that are done at a Forest Hill. Would you be interested in going? I got there. I was, I was inspired by seeing people praying with passion, you know, something that is very uncommon in the Catholic Church. And these people were believing that Whatever it is that they are saying to the Lord, the Lord hears them without necessarily asking for anything from the Lord. They were praising God and it looked like they were, it was coming from there, from inside of them. So that really inspired me. And as for serving the church, even that, that as well was per, per chance. I was called by uh, the late Mr. Lekaukau. I'm normally, I'm just a reserved person. So Mr. Legoko just picked me from that back seat where I usually sit and put me in front. And I remember the first time I did something in church, I was very scared. But since that day, I've just been motivated to do more and more for the Lord. For me, this is how God, people would get to know that God is indeed alive in, among, amongst us. It is through what we do in the name of the Lord. Now talk to us about the church in Botswana, in your instance in Chaparon. Now you happen to be the chairperson of Christ the King Cathedral. And at the same time, like I mentioned earlier, you're involved in different other movements within the church. How actively involved are women within the church in Botswana? I was uh, elected the chairperson of Cathedral two years back. And we've seen the, the parish council is 90% women. The executive... We are, there's five of us in the executive, and three of us are women, two are a gentleman. But we've managed to mobilize even the men as well. So we are not only just mobilizing women, it's not only just women who are really in the forefront. They are in the forefront, and there's always room for, for improvement. Um, you know, with women, if we can just concentrate on the strength and the power that we have as women to make change. It's like women, we don't understand how much power we have to make a difference. And we try, most of the time, we are just on the on the borderline. And if we can just 
forget about the differences that we have. This competition, you know, mentality that women have, because it is I women who pull each other down. So we, we need to rise above these petty little things for us to really grow. Because it is women, if more and more women get involved and they grow in the Lord, then we can really make a difference. Like I say, we have already, we already seen the difference here that the council is full of women and now we are seeing men standing up now, taking the rightful place uh, in, the, in, in serving the Lord. Here in Botswana, I think we, there's always, I don't believe it can, it can be enough for anyone to be of the service of the Lord. There's always room for, for improvement. And likewise here, we need to work more on really, like we need first of all to work more on our relationship with the Lord. We should know that serving the Lord, we are not doing the church a favor. We are just answering a call from the Lord. And if that is our approach in serving the Lord, we would really go places. The church would really grow. But I must say the church is growing in Botswana also. Now talk to us about some of the activities that you do. I know that you're also a businesswoman, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Talk to us about some of the activities you do within the church. I'm a member of the lay associates of uh, the Oblates. We are called um, Missionary Associates of Mary Immaculate. These are the lay people who, 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 live, um, who live out the charism of the Oblates. We are the lay associates who also are inspired by Mother Mary through the charism that inspires uh, the, the Oblates. Um, I'm also in the 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 the, 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 the teaching ministry of uh, the charismatic, but we are available to any other sodalities, whatever they need for us to 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 teach. They will invite us, and I'm one of the people that have been invited to other parishes to give teachings. I have been involved in organizing a diocesan convention, which was the first of its kind in the in the.